morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to STG 209, Strategic Planning for Long-Term Archiving with Amazon Glacier. My name is Henry Zhang. I'm a product manager of Amazon Glacier with uh, AWS. So welcome. I'm super excited to see uh, almost a full house. Uh, I've done Glacier presentations many times in the past. I would say um, usually I don't see a very long line, you know, because archiving is not one of these hot topics. Usually, like the machine learning, the rooms are very, you know, uh, has a very long line and all that. But I'm super excited, like we have a full house and you guys are coming in here to, to, to join us. So for today's session, I really want to share with you how we help customers plan for long-term archiving. I'm talking about archiving tens of petabytes, double-digit, you know, triple-digit petabytes of uh, data sets with Amazon Glacier. In the last few years when Glacier has been in service, we've, we've done this uh, uh, questionnaire with many large customers to help them go through this planning process. So I want to share with you some of the things we learned. So before I start on Glacier, let me just paint you the picture of how Glacier fits into this overall storage portfolio, which many customers find useful when they approach AWS. So you look at this picture. On the left-hand side, we have a file system, which is EFS, which supports customers' file-based workloads. In the middle, we have EBS, which supports the traditional block-based workloads running efficiently in the cloud. And on the right-hand side, we have services like S3 and Glacier, which are object-based. And those are really the key focus for large data sets, data lake, long-term archiving. So we're going to focus on the right-hand side. And at the bottom, you see a number of ingestion services which help you move data into and out of AWS, as well as move data around to your partners, to your uh, solution vendors, as well as to your customers. So just keep that big picture in mind, uh, and now we're going to dive into Glacier. So let me share with you a couple of examples, customer examples of how they're using Glacier today. Uh, the first one I'm super excited about is Sony uh, DADC. Uh, they are the new media service division for Sony Corporation. And in January, they launched this new platform called Venue, which is a full end-to-end -end media supply chain that supports both business-to-business uh, -business delivery. For example, Sony uh, delivering content to uh, PBS, to Disney, to iTunes, as well as uh, the B2C OTT service, which is you know, streaming content on your phone. So Sony used to store uh, three copies of content this very high-resolution content on tapes. And they took the plunge and moved all of that 20 petabytes into Glacier for long-term storage. This is content that they're going to store for over, uh, for indefinitely. Super excited about that. And then in healthcare, we have Philips, which is also a long-term customer. Over the last two years, they've moved in 15 petabytes of, uh, 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 of healthcare data, which is medical images, uh, patient records, uh, the significance of that is they're able to not only take advantage of Glacier's low price durability, they're also able to use uh, Glacier as well as a number of other AWS HIPAA-eligible services because those are super important for the healthcare industry. And last but not least, since I live in Seattle, uh, which is part of uh, King County, the largest county of, uh, of Washington State, uh, the King County also has moved their large data sets uh, into, into Glacier. So in this case, they have to meet compliance for, um, for the public sector requirements. Uh, they also replace tape and use Glacier. And in the first year that they made the switch, they're able to save over a million dollars and still able to achieve all the compliance reg and regulations that they had to. 
So across many other industries over the last five years, we see there's this explosion of content. I think, you know, I work with a lot of media customers, and we see, like, new cameras are just capturing amazing images that can be as large as, you know, 20, 50 megabytes per, per shot. Somewhere, they have to keep that content. And for movie studios, there is an urgency to solve the, the, the storage problem. It's not only about storing them, it's about being able to use them effectively and monetize. And storing that uh, reliably over the next few decades. We see that in oil and gas. We see that in financial services, uh, in many other industries. So archiving is now a necessity because you know, we see lots of customers planning out a strategy of data lake. Uh, and then the initial you know, question they have to solve is where do I keep this data and how do I do that? So let's jump into some of the considerations that I've seen customers uh, ask us when they evaluate Glacier for long-term archiving. Obviously, number one, is the question about cost. So typically, customers tell us, hey, this is how much my uh, drives cost, this is how much my media costs on, on tape. But we quickly get into a conversation that this is about the total cost of, of archiving. So how do customers do archiving uh, um, today? Right? A lot of customers use uh, tape solutions, which requires buying robots, drives, and media. And then there's also two types of tape archiving. Number one is the on-site tape, which is uh, tapes that's, that's already loaded in the library or is available in the next room. There's also the off-site tape, uh, off, off tape vaulting, which is storing with Iron Mountain and vendors alike. So many customers tell us that the biggest challenge with that is managing the hardware, is the CapEx uh, burden that they have to spend every three to five years. And then also every three to five years, they have to refresh their tapes which is an arduous thing to do. If you get it right, uh, you probably don't get a pat on the back. But if you get it wrong, you run the risk of losing important corporate information. So that's a risk they don't want to take, and that's why they come to AWS to see how they can get rid of tapes and, uh, and, and be able to store data more reliably. So customers find a few things very uh, useful with uh, AWS. Number one is, with using Glacier, they don't have to buy any more tape libraries, uh, make any CapEx investments. They don't have to build data centers. And they, don't have to, they also don't have to do any of the tape refreshes. And the second most important thing is that based on their geography, they can choose an AWS region to use Glacier that best fits their regulatory and compliance requirements. For example, German customers are required to keep all of their business data in Germany. So they can now choose the Frankfurt region to do that. That's super exciting for many customers. So coming back to cost, customers also see a big difference when they compare the traditional cost model versus using Glacier, or in general, the AWS services. Because in the traditional storage solution, you typically buy a rack of storage appliance, you know, tape drives, tape libraries. Let's say you have a petabyte of storage. You do some you know, setup configuration. Then you get down to a smaller size and then you allocate some space, and then by the time you actually use the data, you're probably using a lower percentage of the, the, the capacity that you have, uh, have purchased. So in this case, you know, typically customers take you know, three years or so to fill their tape libraries or their entire um, hardware, uh, storage hardware. So they realize the utilization about 25% to 30% in the first year that grows over time. But they have to pay for all of that, and that is not the most optimal thing to do. But with AWS storage, uh, customers are able to only pay for what they use, which is the gigabytes that they store on a monthly basis. 
So we realized that customers need to store more data and for longer terms. So the two factors that drive cost is really the storage price per month, per gigabyte, as well as how long you need to keep that. So I'm super excited to, to tell you that you know, last week we dropped Glacier price uh, by 43% to 0.4% per gigabyte per month. So, and we also made Glacier faster, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. So a lot of customers find this super exciting. Um, so just wanted to let you know that. So having covered cost, how to compare you know, total cost with, with uh, traditional model and, and Glacier, the second question that a lot of customers raise is durability. I work with a lot of media customers. I see a couple of familiar faces over here. Uh, one question I, I get asked a lot is, how do you make sure that you don't lose my uh, movies? Uh, how do you know that there's no corruption and things like that? So on our website, we tell customers that Glacier's durability is 11 nines. That's a very big number. But after talking to a lot of customers, I realized that this number may not be the best way to explain what that means. And we need to really help customers interpret that. So let me first explain to you how we calculate this 11 nines and then um, have, have, have a bridge to, to, to get to you know, an easier way to interpreting that. So for the 11 nines, we uh, ran a simulation. It's called a Markov simulation, which simulated the, the drive failures, the, 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 the storage device failures. Uh, the server failures, the networking failure, the building failures, the power uh, failure. Uh, we combine all of that and we ran a simulation that tells us that, you know, we get this 11 nines of durability. But a lot of customers tell us, hey, you know, how do I compare that with my tape solution, which is traditionally two copies of tape uh, in the same room or two copies of tape across two different sites that's located probably about 20 to 30 miles apart. So there was one time we worked with a very large studio in, in Hollywood. It's not hard to guess who. Uh, we shared this uh, you know, durability model, and we asked them, hey, what if you took our model and ran a simulation to calculate the durability of two copies of tape that you have? And a couple of days after, their solution architect um, came back and told us that the four co the, for, for the two copies of tape on the same site, they estimated a durability of, uh, of four nines. And then for two copies of tape, in two different rooms, in two different buildings, he estimated the durability to be about five nines. So that was the moment for him and us to realize that Glacier's durability is actually seven orders of magnitude higher than keeping two copies of tape. That was a big aha moment for us and for many media customers. So I just want to get that point across to help bridge how to think about the number of nines which we use and the number of copies that you, you typically use for your uh, archiving solutions. Another thing that customers ask, ask us is, how do, you, how do you ensure that my data doesn't change over time? So um, again, for a lot of media customers, for data preservation customers, digital preservation customers, the terminology is fixity. That really means that the content is fixed. The content hasn't changed. It's stored in the same way that it's received on day one. So, so Glacier has this built-in fixity check, which we run in the background as a system process. We basically sweep. Uh, all, every, every customer's content to make sure that the data is not changing. And we also use redundant copies so that if we detect a potential change, which equates to a corruption, a potential corruption, we will fix the content using one of the redundant copies. So now you think about this. We actually do all of this fixity check in the background without telling you, but we expose, we, we actually, you know, uh, expose, ro roll all of that into a, a single storage price of 0.4 cent per gigabyte. This is very different than 
you know, doing your own RAID configurations on your tapes or doing you know, multiple tape libraries and rolling your multi-site uh, redundancy. So just want to share with you uh, what that 0.4 cents really includes and what that 11 nines mean. And, ho and, ho and hopefully you can share that with your customers. So the third thing the customer asks us is how quickly can I get data back from Glacier? I would say that you know, in the last three years, um, Glacier hasn't been the fastest service in the world. It took about four hours to get data back. Uh, but last week, uh, we made this, uh, we, we changed it. So we launched this new thing called data retrieval tiers. Um, so instead of having only the standard retrieval model, which you, know, you can get data back from three to five hours, uh, we now added two new models because customers felt that three to five hours is just not fast enough. So on the left-hand side, we added a new expedited retrieval model, which is meant to be meant to be used for emergency retrievals. Think about a, a broadcaster needing to change a last-minute uh, program schedule. Think about you know Fox needing to change uh, the 5 p.m. Uh, you know sports program for for the uh, uh, for the day, and they typically only have about one hour to react to that. It's an it's an emergency situation. So how do they do that today? Uh, Many media customers, broadcasters, have tapes on site, so they always have someone go into the next room, grab the tape with a barcode, load it into the tape library, read that one hour of videos, probably you know uh, five gigs of, of a video file. Then they'll do some processing, packaging, and then they'll ship it out. So that is the process of, of, of handling a last-minute program a scheduling change for a broadcaster they were not able to use Glacier for that because you know, the data comes back in four hours and they need to get this whole thing done uh, in, an, in an hour. But now, with expedited retrievals, they can do that because you can get um, objects uh, back uh, in, in as little as one to five minutes. Obviously, you know, the larger the, 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 you know, your file is, the longer it's going to take. But customers are now able to you know, handle these situations using the expedited retrievals. So super excited about that. And on the other hand, we also made Glacier even slower for, for, for use cases that don't require urgent retrievals but demand accessing a very, very large amount of data. So this is something we call bulk retrievals. Think about uh, taking the media example again. Um, we have customers that have, you know, double-digit petabytes of media library. They know that uh, iPhone 10 is going to come out in, in two weeks. What do they need to do? They need to retranscode all of that library so that it looks best when it's delivered to the new iPhone 10. That's a retranscoding process. I think most uh, uh, large media cus customers typically do that a couple times a year, um, you know, for, for new uh, device releases uh, and, th and things as such. So in that case, you know, they can, they can complete this job within uh, a few days to uh, a couple of weeks. They don't need to uh, have urgent retrievals, but they are looking at retrieving petabytes of content. So in this case, bulk retrieval is a great model for these customers because it delivers data in 5 to 12 hours at a very low cost, at, at quarter of a cent. So if you do the math, pulling a petabyte from um, bulk retrieval only costs $2,500. So with both options, I think Glacier now can support a number of new use cases. On one hand, I'm super excited about the expedited retrieval because customers, um, we'll talk about the price in a little bit. So customers can now replace on-site tape libraries with Glacier. In the past, with the four-hour retrievals, they, they are only able to replace uh, off-site tape libraries. But now they can get rid of their entire 
tape deployment. So I'm super excited about that. And on the bulk retrieval side, you know, we see genomics companies thinking about, hey, I'm going to do a uh, re-baseline, a realignment of all my genomic uh, sequences. That is now achievable uh, in a very cost-effective way. So the final thing is on, on pricing. Um, Glacier used to have a, uh, a peak-based pricing, which was not, you know, easy for customers to understand. I'm happy to tell you that we removed that. So now all of the retrievals are based on um, per gigabyte flat pricing, uh, ranging from three cents per gigabyte with the fastest option to one cent per gigabyte with a standard option for hours to quarter of a cent, the lowest cost option for bulk retrievals. So I'm, I'm pretty excited and I'm, I'm almost certain that there is one option that's going to fit your needs. So the fourth consideration, this is the one that I'm most excited about because it has so much to do with you and less to do with Glacier. This is the application and data management. What does that mean? So from a pure Glacier perspective, there are three ways of using it. Uh, you can use the Glacier SDK, uh, which accesses Glacier directly. You can use the S3 lifecycle in, uh, life integration to Glacier, and you can also use third-party tools and gateways. So a lot of customers tell us that they have existing solutions, such as data management solutions, such as um, content management solutions, digital asset management solutions for media customers, because you already manage petabytes of data, whether it's on tape or drives. You already have something that shows you what the data is, how it is uh, you know, stored, how to access that. There is something that you already use. So one of the considerations for, for using Glacier is, what do I do with my existing software? Do I want to keep that? Or do I want to you know, rewrite my programs to only use AWS APIs, for example? A lot of times we find that you know, larger data sets require you know, a lot of workflows that's already you know, in place, and it's, it's disruptive to just stop that and build new applications um, in the cloud. A lot of customers do that, but they need to keep their existing businesses running. So we have to balance, we have, we have to help customers balance um, business continuity as well as time to market, as well as agility of using the cloud. So taking that into perspective, what we help with customers with is help them figure out a way to, to, to access Glacier with one of these three options, while still being able to maintain your existing tools, applications in a way that gives you the least amount of disruption. So let me talk about these three options, and then we'll come back to how it ties back into your solution. So with Glacier Direct uh, <clears throat> Access, uh, it's, it's very similar to any AWS service. You use uh, APIs and SDKs. Uh, on the data upload path, uh, you create a Glacier container, which is called a vault. You configure access, you upload archives, and you register the archive ID, which is a um, unique checksum of your, of your asset. And then on the data retrieval path, uh, you will initiate a retrieval request by sending us the archive ID. This is the unique identifier of the file that you sent to Glacier. Note that this is an asynchronous process. Whether it comes back in you know, one to five minutes or five to 12 hours, it's still an asynchronous process. So we have to manage that. And then you can sign up for notifications upon the retrieval completion. And when it's done, uh, we stage your data in a location that you can download. You can pull it into EC2, or you can download it over the wire and do some processing locally. So pretty straightforward. The second way of using of accessing Glacier is through S3. I think a lot of customers already uh, have uh, hooks from the applications into S3, or you use tools that talks S3 already. 
I think more tools talk to S3 than, than Glacier today. Or you have third-party vendors who have built connectors that allow on-premises data management applications to talk to the cloud, to talk to, to S3. So in that case, a good way of using Glacier is using the S3 lifecycle policy, which allows you to manage three tiers of storage um, in a very streamlined fashion. These being the S3 standard, which I think is the hot storage, and the S3 infrequent access, which is the warm storage, infrequent access, and then Amazon Glacier, which used to be cold storage, but it's not as cold anymore because of the fast retrievals. So with S3 lifecycle, um, you get access to all of these three tiers in a, in a unified API. You only use the S3 API. You have the S3 keys. The keys are always there. Um, you can list them and, you know, do all these operations. Uh, one thing to note that the, the two options on the left-hand side are synchronous access. The one on the right-hand side is async, which is Glacier. And then you also get a price differentiation between the three tiers. Uh, last week, we, we reduced S3 standard price as well uh, to, point, uh, to 2.3 cents per gigabyte. Um, so, so you can use any one of these tiers uh, within your application. Another benefit of using Lifecycle uh, is that you, know, you can transition content between these tiers based on your business needs. So we do, we do recognize that most customers' content age over time. Uh, think about, you know, you, you posted a, uh, uh, a picture of the snowmobile from, from the keynote. I think I saw like you know, 20 posts in the last uh, minute after we launched. Uh, that picture is very hot. I think a lot of your buddies are, 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 are reading that. But, you know, probably within, you know, a couple of days, it's going to cool off a little bit. And then it's going to be what is the next exciting thing that Amazon uh, is, is launching. But with Lifecycle, a lot of customers use time-based time uh, policies to age their data. For example, you can transition data from standard to SVI after 30 days. And then after another 90 days, you can transition it into Glacier. Um, another exciting thing I want to share with you is that S3 uh, is launching uh, tagging support today. I think it probably already went out, which means that you can now transition uh, data based on tags. So if you have one video file in S3 that you want to move to Glacier, all you need to do is set up a transition policy uh, with that tag enabled, and then the policy will automatically pick up that, that video with the tag and move it to Glacier. So walk through that example. This is very easy. You can configure... Uh, the tiering policy in the console, no coding required. You can do that with code as well. And then one of the key benefits of using all three tiers through Lifecycle is that you get instant cost savings from your storage. So take a one petabyte repository, for example. Going from S3 to S3 infrequent access saves you 45%. And if you tier into Glacier, you save another 44%. So those are pretty phenomenal when you're looking at double-digit, triple-digit petabytes and beyond. So coming back to, to tools, I think I've also talked to a lot of customers who uh, are not programmers, who like to use their existing tools. Um, and there's a solution for, uh, you know, to, to manage data as well. So typically we look at the third-party tools from, uh, from a pricing perspective, if you will. Um, there's a consumer grade. I think you know we have partners like you know Cloudberry, FastGlacier, Arc, which operates on the uh, on the Mac OS. These are typically less than fifty dollars to to get started. So what that gives you is a, a user a, a graphical user interface. You can just drag and drop your files 
uh, into Glacier, into S3, and you can set up regular uh, backup policies, archive policies. Super easy to get started. You don't even know that you're using the cloud. There's no APIs involved at all. Then we talk to the small, medium-sized businesses who have, you know, about, you know, 100 terabytes, sometimes up to a petabyte. With these customers, um, they find, you know, tools like Synology, Veeam, and QNAP to be, to be pretty helpful. Those are uh, entry-level NAS devices that have cloud integration either through S3 or through uh, directly to, to Glacier. And they typically cost, you know, under $1,000 to, you know, two, $3,000. With those, a lot of customers deploy a sat satellite uh, configuration, which is, you know, they have their key office, let's say, um, in, in, in New York. They have satellite offices in Dallas, in Seattle, in San Francisco. So they will deploy these small devices, you know, in each of these satellite offices that sync back into the repository for the, for the corporate office in the cloud. Then in the third category, which I spend the most time with, is enterprise customers. So... Uh, it's really two types of use cases here. There is the enterprise gateways, which uh, NetApp has this AltaVault gateway. I'm sure some of you already use that. As well as data management software. And this, the data management software uh, comes in multiple fashions. For, for example, from backup software, we have Commvault, which has uh, Glacier integration, S3 integration, lifecycle integration all, all, all included. Um, great partner with us uh, for, for backup solutions. We also have uh, storage management solutions, such as Stornext, which is, which is very popular uh, with media customers. And then uh, we have digital asset management systems, content management solutions that typically sit on top of a storage management solution to provide additional indexing, cataloging capabilities, such as Vidispine, uh, Dillette, VizRT, and things like that. So there are a number of solutions. I think, you know, do note that the enterprise um, you know, pricing is a little... Uh, hard to predict, so it really varies based on what you choose. But what I want to paint the picture is there are a number of solutions to choose that gives you the control that you're familiar with uh, without actually, you know, programming or needing to write a line of code and still being able to manage petabytes of repository in Glacier. So having walked through all these options, the question is, why do I care? And I think the why do I care here is which option should I choose? So... Um, Pricing aside, I'll share my view about, uh, you know, just, just, the, just the, the, the technical view about how, how you should choose one of these three options between using Glacier directly, using S3 Lifecycle, or using third-party tools. So I think you should use S3 Lifecycle, managed Glacier, because typically customers don't, all, don't just use Glacier. You'll be using S3 and infrequent access because your data does flow in this, uh, you know, tiering model. And it's a great option if you, you find the S3, uh, the key-based, the object key-based uh, you know, indexing system to be sufficient. Uh, a lot of customers do. They find listing the object keys to be, to be good, but sometimes customers want more um, comprehensive indexing and search capabilities, which at the S3 keys do not provide. So in that case, uh, I would recommend using the Glacier APIs directly. Uh, if you already plan to build some type of external index, such as, uh, you know, in DynamoDB or in a, in a local database that you already maintain. I think a lot of media customers maintain a very comp uh, a comprehensive indexing system in their digital asset management system. So some of the vendors that we work with are actually choosing to integrate with Glacier directly. So they have better control uh, with, uh, with the solutions. And finally, uh, if you should choose a third-party options um, to minimize coding, I think the key question here 
is how does the third-party tool write the content? Does it write in a way that you can act in, 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 a, in a proprietary way that only the tool understands? Or does it write it in a way that's native, which means once you upload the content through the tool, you can access it in AWS and do processing? That is the biggest uh, thing, a question that we haven't solved, and I want to, you know, highlight, to highlight it to you. Because a lot of customers are not just looking at moving their data repositories into Glacier for, for archiving purposes. They're no longer looking at keeping this for cold data because now you can do active workloads with Glacier. So then the question is, if I want to do active workloads in the cloud, I must be able to directly access the content that I migrated from some type of solution. So I think this is a very interesting thing, and just be very careful with when you, when you choose a third-party tool to, to understand the formatting. I think ideally we want to have native uh, formats so that you can you know, attach EC2 instances, attach MapReduce, and things like that onto the content once it's moved into the cloud. So I'll give you one, I'll share one uh, a common uh, customer architecture. Uh, this, is, this is quite popular with a, lot, a bunch of our media customers. So um, this is a, um, a visual of their on-premises setup. You can see that they have um, an on-site archive which has on-premises tapes, very common, as well as off-site off tape archives. On top of that, uh, they have a hierarchical storage manager which typically fronts you know, the, the different storage types, objects, you know, tapes, and, and things like that, and presents it as a file system. And on top of that, they have an application um, management layer which, which manages the metadata. In this case, it's a digital asset management system. You can generalize that to uh, any type of content management solution. So this is like at the three-layer uh, setup that we see with many customers. And then they have local processing tasks that talk to the top layer. So a bunch of customers have taken the following approach, which is let me first move the on-premises tapes and the off-site tape archives into Glacier uh, for large you know, transfer uh, needs. I'm talking about like you know, double-digit petabytes these customers will typically um, get a direct connect. They'll send the content to Glacier, and then they will deploy some type of uh, cloud-native uh, DAM solution in the cloud or from an on-premises uh, location that can access the content in, in Glacier. So that cloud digital asset management is able to link back to the on-premises assets because we also recognize that you have hybrid workloads. Like not all the data is going to be in the cloud initially. So in this model, they can do work locally. They can sync back changes between on-prem and, uh, and multiple sites. And then when they need to process the data from Glacier, they will restore it uh, into S3. And then they can run cloud-based processing workloads. They can also download a small subset of the data that needs to run locally for some of the workloads that are not yet ready to move to the cloud. So consideration number five. Um, I work with a lot of customers that have that need that are required to store data for long term because of compliance and regulatory reasons. I think I work with uh, financial services a lot in the U.S., uh, public sector, uh, utilities. All of these, uh, you know, industry require data to be retained uh, for at least seven years and beyond. So, when you have that type of workload, I think Glacier could be a very good option for you because. Uh, we have this capability called Volloc, which essentially gives you compliance storage at no extra cost. By compliance storage, I think you know the most common one is worm storage, which is uh, write-only, read-many. You can actually do read-many with Glacier now with the multiple uh, retrieval options. Uh, 
So Volock allows you to configure a worm storage uh, container very easily. Um, but it's not just for worm storage. Uh, you can configure, for example, time-based retention. You can also configure um, you know, access rules. For example, if you are a pharmaceutical company and you have this um, you know, formula that's top secret, you can store it in Glacier and you can configure a Volock policy to say, I have to have a three-key uh, three um, simultaneous multi-factor authentication. So like, let's say the top three C-level guys need to crank the key together to, to, to see the formula. This is one way to protect the data. So this is already going beyond the worm use case, which is make sure that the data is not deleted. So the vault lock policy applies to your Glacier container. Uh, we mentioned that it's, it's a vault. and governs all the records in a vault. And uh, the policy itself is immutable uh, and can be locked you know, in two steps. So how we achieve this governance is by letting you create a policy, doing testing, and locking that policy down so that the policy cannot be changed. And we govern that policy so that it enforces the compliance objectives that you specified in the policy. So what can you do with Volloc? Uh, I already mentioned that you can create uh, worm storage with, with, uh, with Volloc. You can specify time-based retention using this uh, control code called archive agent days, which determines how long an archive in Glacier has been stored. If you want to do a seven-year retention, you set that archive agent days to be less than 365 days. Uh, you can lock down the policy. You can also deploy legal holds, which is also relevant for compliance and regulatory use cases. And finally, you can, you can configure designated third-party access. This is a, a requirement for, for uh, financial services. So all of that uh, can be achieved with no extra cost. Um, you still pay 0.4 cent per gigabyte per month for using Glacier, and Volloc is free. And last year, when we launched Volloc, uh, we also worked with um, this third-party auditing firm, Cohasset Associates, who's been the leader in compliance evaluation for IT products in the industry for over the last 40 years. So they're the ones that certified uh, EMC Centera, uh, NetApp SnapLock, all of these um, incumbent compliance uh, store solutions. So we worked with them, and they also provided us this evaluation that says Glacier Volloc, if used correctly, can be used to meet the uh, financial services regulatory rule, the SEC 17-4. So without my, you know, telling you more about Volloc myself, I'd like to introduce my customer uh, and, and a dear friend, Mr. Rich Sutton from uh, Proofpoint, to, to share with you how he has built a compliance archive solution in the cloud using Volloc. Let's welcome Rich. Hi, everybody. My name is Rich. I run uh, the social and digital risk engineering groups at uh, Proofpoint. And I'm going to walk you through how we built Glacier into the back end of an archiving product that specializes in storing data for social. I'm going to show you screenshots from VaultLock. I'll talk in depth about the policy that we use, and we'll talk about API semantics as well. So we'll get into technical details. First of all, um, show of hands to the extent that I can see who has heard of Proofpoint. Oh, too few, so too few. So if you've heard of FireEye and you've heard of um, Palo Alto and you certainly have heard of Symantec, you really need to know Proofpoint. Uh, Proofpoint has built a world-class threat research and cybersecurity team. 
Uh, we produce some incredible threat intelligence that we allow you, our customers, uh, to take action on by protecting the email and social and mobile app flows uh, that your employees and your consumers, your customers, uh, use every day to communicate with your enterprise. I've been around for about uh, 14 years, and we're a huge AWS user. And like many of your organizations, I'm sure, uh, our use of AWS was not something that was strategically decided by our executives. It was something that occurred organically through engineers solving their problems and through acquisitions. So we've acquired a number of companies in the last five years that were born in the cloud, built in AWS. Uh, and so in 2000, I think in 2016, we're going to end up spending eight figures with AWS, and all of that activity occurred organically. One of, the, uh, one of the acquisitions was a company that I co-founded called Nextgate, uh, and we built a product that um, is the social part of the story for Proofpoint. So um, to talk to you about Proofpoint Social Patrol Archive and give you an understanding of why we use Glacier as an underpinning for that, I really need to give you an overview of Proofpoint Social Patrol. The Social Patrol is a product that uh, helps our customers um, with security and compliance use cases around their social infrastructure. Now, many of us, probably engineers here in the crowd, we think to ourselves, social, how, how is my company using social? Well, your marketing teams, your product managers, your sales teams are all out on social. They've created hundreds, if not thousands, of social accounts on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and they're trying to transact your company's business out there on social, communicating with your customers. Uh, in particular, uh, financial institutions where there are financial advisors tend to have thousands of these accounts, Facebook pages and LinkedIn profiles where financial advisors are reaching out to their customers and talking, um, and talking about financial products on social. So our products help with a number of problems there. Uh, first and foremost, uh, uh, fraud, digital risk, brand impersonation. It's seamless and frictionless to create a social account, and so the bad guys leverage the fact that your companies are out on social by creating fake accounts. Um, Social Patrol also moderates content at scale. So uh, when you have a lot of engagement on a Facebook page or an Instagram account, we're looking at the comments in near real time, classifying them and taking down the ones that are bad. Uh, you'd never know it. The nastiest social account I've ever seen is the Instagram page for Betty Crocker. Betty Crocker. Pillsbury. Um, Apparently, it's a, Betty Crocker is the name of a character in like an anime uh, a show of some kind, and the 14-year-olds pile on with the nastiest stuff you've ever read on Instagram. So we help Pillsbury keep that conversation clean. We also help with compliance and publishing, making sure that when your marketing departments uh, spend tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars on tools to help them communicate on social, um, that we uh, make sure that the, those people are using the right tools and they're using them in the right way. We do all this by integrating with the social APIs. And as you might guess, at the core of everything we do is classification. So we have a dedicated data science team that knows how to tear apart text using machine learning and NLP, look at links, classify images, um, in order to categorize social content so that our customers can create policies against it. So if you see a uh, acceptable use comment on Instagram, you can remove it. Uh, and we're not native and built in AWS. So this is generally how it works, broad strokes. There are conversations occurring on social. Our application is ingesting those conversations into our tenant in AWS. Our policy engine is cranking on that content. We're classifying that content, labeling it, saying 
this is spam, this is a malware link, um, this is an acceptable use problem, and then we apply our customer's policy to the content. And sometimes that means reaching back into the social network and deleting that content. We then store it in our data layer where it's heavily indexed, uh, searchable, so that our customers can report on it and can dive deep into the things that their uh, employees and constituents are saying on social. Now, for 75% of our customers, this is enough. This is fantastic. They love this, uh, and they need no more. But there's a certain segment of customers that tend to be in regulated industries that need it to go one step further. They love what we built, but they also need us to help them retain this content. So uh, if you're a bank uh, and you are subject to regulatory uh, obligations to retain the communication that you have with your customers, the things that your financial advisors say on social, that's also communication that has to be retained. We said, no problem. You probably already have an archiving solution like Semantic Enterprise Vault or an EMC or something like that. We will just integrate with that. We'll take our social content, we'll put it into a format that these things typically understand, which is email, and we'll send it off to your enterprise archive. This worked, but it was certainly imperfect. Uh, first and foremost, social is not the same as email. Who is a Facebook post to? Not really a concrete thing. And so we ended up translating lots of things from social uh, into email, uh, and we had to do that sometimes differently for every archive. Uh, each archive works on different headers, they have different indexing methodologies, and we commonly had to do custom work for uh, our customers when they showed up with an archive that we hadn't supported in the past. And finally, uh, internal collaboration was a problem here as well. Our buyer was the marketing department typically, they would have to involve compliance, and then there was a, you know, a, a long pro-serve process to get it all working. Then in 2015, we got the announcement from Henry's team about Glacier, and we knew immediately what we wanted to do with that. We expanded our footprint in AWS to include Glacier, and we started to write social content in a native format into Glacier for our customers who wanted to, uh, us to consume it and store it that way. This was a, a, a perfect solution. Uh, it made something uh, that was painful and difficult to sell into something that was turnkey and easy, easy to transact. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the technical details. So in your AWS tenant, right, uh, Glacier is a service you can access. Glacier contains vaults. You have some number of vaults that are allocated to your AWS tenant. A policy is established at a vault level, so when I want to say retain content for three, five, seven, ten years, I set that policy at the vault level, and then I insert archives into the vault. The archive has a timestamp of the time it was inserted. The policy that's established at the vault level is what um, dictates how long it's retained. So here's a screenshot from our application showing a customer with a three-year retention period set. For them, we would have created a vault using the initialize um, I'm sorry, we created a vault, and then we would have started the vault lock process by calling initialized vault lock on it with a policy. So this is an example of a couple of customers that are in our, in our uh, U.S. East region uh, that have vaults set up for them to retain social content. So we call initialized vault lock with a policy. The policy is 30 lines of JSON maximum. Extremely simple. It contains effectively two declarations. The one on the top is a deny to any IAM user or role 
denying deleting an archive in this particular vault if the age of that archive is less than the retention period that my customer has told me or that you guys would um, set or establish for your enterprises, in this case three years. The second policy action uh, is equally important. This allows for the legal hold that Henry referred to earlier. You affect a legal hold by setting a tag on the vault, in this case literally called legal hold, and set to true. When that tag exists, this policy line is also part of the calculated uh, delete policy for any archive in the vault, in this case denying deletes by, again, any principle on uh, any archive, and then a special case to uh, prevent uh, deleting an empty vault in the case of a legal hold. So this policy specifies that the initialized vault lock stage, you can then test the policy. You can insert archives with dates. You can test the policy. Then you commit that policy uh, by calling complete vault lock. If you don't like the results of what you set, you call abort vault lock, and you can start over. So extremely simple, um, extremely simple interaction with the, with the Amazon API. So when our product is social content flows in to the archive, each piece of data uh, has an archive date obviously associated with it, and then based on the age uh, of the, uh, the retention period defined on the vault, we can then also calculate a purge date, which our product will then go back and purge the archive once the purge date um, elapses, uh, assuming that there is no legal hold on the vault. And we just play that information back to our customer in our UI. Our customers continue to use our front end and our data layer, which is the search capability and the reporting capability, except now they also have the added benefit of an SEC-compliant archive right behind it. So no change in interaction for our customers. They sort of just get it free. So Henry wants me to close with a statement on how much money did Glacier save us when we integrated it. You know, social content is small. It's not like, uh, like uh, videos or maybe some of the data sets you're dealing with. We're talking about a kilobyte per piece of content. Um, our customers can store everything that they've ever said on social ever for effectively a rounding error in our price. In Glacier, the prices are, are so small. But I think talking about pricing is really the wrong way to think about this. Glacier enables new products and new business models. So when you guys think about how you're going to migrate to Glacier, you should consider how you're going to do it all differently because Glacier gives you an opportunity to rethink the way that you store data and retain data. For us, we would never have built this product. We would have continued to live in a world of jamming our social content into an enterprise uh, email archive. Glacier enabled an entirely new business for us, an entirely new revenue stream. Thanks. Appreciate it. And I'll hand it back to Henry. Thank you, Rich. Well, thank you, Rich, for uh, sharing the proof point story. So just to close, I, I recognize, you know, we talked about several considerations about archiving. The one we didn't touch on is how to get your data into the cloud. I think that's a topic on its own. And uh, we have actually a couple of sessions that's going to address that. But just to give you the highlight, uh, there, there are a number of ways. I already mentioned, you know, customers already use Direct Connect for large initial data migrations for ongoing data ingestion, and as, as well as for using, you know, um, using that for other applications beyond just using Glacier. So uh, there are also customers who found uh, our Snowball solution to be super uh, effective, and I'm also excited to 
as you know that you know today we announced a new version of uh, of Snowball. It's called the Snowball Edge. It's a, it's a it's a new product that not only allows you to transfer 100 terabytes per device, it also has local compute that you can run Lambda jobs. Uh, it has a file interface that you can you know use it use it as a local NAS destination. You can also uh, it has an S3 interface. You can use it as local object storage, and it can also be clustered for a more durable local storage. So uh, we just launched that today, and we're super excited because we have no idea what customers are going to do with it. Like, I think we're super excited that this is going to be the new thing that customers are going to teach us uh, using their creativity to deploy in like edge locations, in places that you, know, you cannot access the cloud um, without, without network. So uh, there are a number of other uh, solutions for ingest. And so I just want to highlight a couple of uh, sessions that uh, you should go check out in, in the afternoon. So remember I talked about uh, Sony DADC. So my coworker, Moss Kubo, is talking about, have, is giving a presentation on deep dive on Amazon Glacier. He's going to go deeper into the retrieval um, uh, features. And in his session, Sony DADC's uh, CTO is also going to tell you how they actually migrated 20 petabytes of tape archives into Glacier. So definitely recommend you to check that out. That's the first one. It's at 5 p.m. today. Um, and then in the afternoon, we also have a mi migration story in general featuring uh, Live Nation. Uh, we have a snowball work, uh, working, uh, work workshop tomorrow. And then at 2 o'clock this afternoon, we have a dedicated data ingest solution. I forgot to put that in, but look for data ingest uh, session that happens at 2 o'clock this afternoon. So I'm going to leave the last 10 minutes for questions. And uh, before that, please remember to uh, fill out the survey. Thank you. Any questions?